from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here in Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Hey, it's Thursday noon Eastern. We are live right now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. As always, we are doing open calls live here on Thursday, so we would love to hear from you if you want to get in queue. We have Dream Team in studio, Michelle and Dion taking our calls right now at 844 942 7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And guess what? For the second time in a row, Finland has been named the happiest country. So I thought you might like to know that. And if it's Thursday and you've got a question for us, we'd love to hear from you all hour long on Career Talk Series XM, channel 132-844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And today, we welcome Wendy Merrill, who is the founder of Strategy Horse Consulting Group, which helps leaders to be more impactful in the workplace and beyond. Author of the book, Path to Impact, The Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart, she's helped over 30 clients and counting successfully start their own businesses, and we're excited to have her on the show today. Welcome to Career Talk, Wendy. Thank you, Don. I'm so excited to be here. So I want to kind of just dive in with, with something in your book that really kind of got me to think. Um, you mentioned that most people need to dream bigger, and by not doing this, they hold themselves back. Can you say more about that? Well, you know, a, a lot of there's a lot of talk about dreaming, um, you know, following your dreams, following your passion. Um, but if you're anything like me, you might have not been raised um, to really understand what it means to define your dream and pursue it. In other words, it's not that easy if you don't know how to dream, if you don't know how to think big. So. I find that oftentimes in my practice and with those that I mentor, um, they, well, we've all been there. We all stand in our way, um, in our own way. Um, And if we're not thinking big, like bigger than we imagine we can be, then we have really nothing to shoot for. And if we don't shoot for something big, well, we never have any hope of getting there. So it's interesting because I think, you know, as I, I hear advice out there, I, I think especially people who are kind of coming up into their career, they can hear conflicting advice, Wendy. So sometimes you hear, follow your dreams, but then you'll also hear, but be practical or say yes to oppor- every opportunity that comes your way. Or, you know, you have to start saying no more to be more successful. So how do people discern this advice and apply it to their own situation? Well, you definitely can follow your dream and be practical at the same time. But the only way you can do that and be really intentional about whatever you do is understanding really your why. Just to sort of quote Simon Sinek, you have to know why you get out of bed every morning, what's important to you, and what is your inherent value that you bring to your workplace, your colleagues, your clients, the community, et cetera, before you can really define the impact that you want to have in the world. So once you figure out where you want to go and you figure out what your dream looks like, well, then you have to be practical about how you get there by being focused and consistent and really putting blinders on to anything that might distract you from the path. So, yeah, I, I, the way I kind of interpret this seemingly contradicting advice is – you know, I think a lot of people look at what jobs are out there and try to fit themselves into those boxes. And when I hear follow your dreams, what I am hoping people do is create their own path. So it doesn't have to be a job that exists, or it could be a variety of different jobs you put into a portfolio career, and you you kind of create your own diverse role or set of roles, if that's right for you. And so so I think, and that's the practical side of, you know, it, it does have to pay the bills and it does have to be something you are 
at least mildly experienced at and can grow it and learn into. But, but yeah, I do think that sometimes this can be really confusing, especially as people are starting their careers because they, they get this conflicting advice. Hey, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132. We are here with Wendy Merrill who is the author of Path to Impact, The Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart. And if, if you've ever heard that conflicting advice about follow your passion, but also be practical or say yes to everything or learn to say no, we'd love to hear how you've dealt with it. 844-942-7866. But right now we're going to go to our mailbag. All right. So let's go there. Dion? <laughs> no, no go, Dion? You've got mail. <laughs> that was a little anti- anticlimactic. <laughs> All right. From Claudia, I have a question on movement within the same company. The move is a lateral position in a different city. That is a better location for me and my family. It's also an opportunity for me to learn new programs within my industry. Currently, I'm working on an MBA and prefer to stay with the same company. There are a few obstacles. The first is the VP for my current position has been difficult to work with to the point where HR has stepped in several times. I believe she would attempt to block or sabotage the move. And in this situation, what is the best way to handle it? So so this is interesting. So Claudia wants to make a move. She is worried that her boss is going to sabotage this move. So Wendy, what are your thoughts as you hear this question? Ooh, I get, I hear that a lot, um, where there's personality conflicts, sort of power struggles inside companies. Um, I, I, the best way to answer that is really to, once someone, back to what I said before, once someone defines what they really want to accomplish and kind of go through their checklist, okay, this makes sense, it's, it's a better place for me, you know, um, you have to also figure in the other obstacles to your growth. And you want to be able to identify the people that might be standing in your way. And there's a lot of ways to, to handle it or address it. I personally believe in engaging in communication. Um, you don't necessarily want to seek out confrontation and be aggressive. However, um, if we're going to be taken seriously as professionals, we have to sit down with our HR director, our supervisor, our colleagues, and say, this is, you know, I'm, I, I want to make sure that we're aligned in our goals. I want to make sure that we're working together, that we're collaborating toward, you know, I want to make sure I understand what your, what your vision is so that we can work together. And that's the way to start. But sometimes, unfortunately, there may be a personality clash that you just can't overcome. And yeah. that's something you have to think about and weigh heavily. And if someone is going to, if, if you're certain that someone is going to stand in your way of what you want to accomplish and the impact you want to have, then you may want to think twice about that move and consider other options. Yeah, and I think that word you use, Wendy, is is a good one. Are you certain? And I think a lot of times we psych ourselves out and we say, oh, we can't ask our boss because they're going to say this or do this. Or, um, And I think a lot of times when people do ask, they're surprised at the, the supportive nature of the response they get. Now, in Claudia's case, it sounds like she may have some past evidence that, that indicates that her current boss may not be as supportive as as she would like. So so the question becomes, do you go around, do you go to HR? But my thought, Claudia, is that if you're in a situation where you're working for somebody who you feel would actively sabotage something you're going to do and where HR is coming in regularly to handle situations, it sounds to me like that's a situation you need to get out of one way or another because it is going to be, I mean, not only damaging to your career, but damaging to your mental health in the long run to work for somebody who is creating such a stressful environment. Um, I would also look at your company's bigger policies. I mean, what is what is the company's policy on moving internally, making uh, moves to different offices? If there's a set number of rules that are in place for all employees, then you may be able to use those policies or guidelines as a way to pursue this and kind of as your backup support in this situation with your boss. So this is a tough situation. I'd love to ask our listeners if you have been in this situation or maybe 
you have some advice for Claudia on this, we'd love to hear from you on Career Talk at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we are live on Thursdays every week for you to give us a call and ask us any and all career questions you might have. And to help us with that today, we have Wendy Merrill who is a guest, and her book is Path to Impact, The Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart. So let's talk a little bit. In your book, you talk about workplace Stockholm Syndrome. And tell us a little bit about what this is and and, um, how we can overcome it, because I think this is relevant. Well, Stockholm Syndrome is, uh, it was coined, I think, in the 70s. Um, There was apparently some sort of a bank heist uh, in Stockholm, and there were several hostages taken. And when they... Um, when everything calmed down and um, they were to be prosecuted in court, none of the captor- captives, the, the, the uh, folks they held hostage, would testify against them. So it, it really means when someone is held captive or held against their will, where they actually sympathize and humanize with their, uh, their captors. So what the application is in the workplace is when you're working for, and, and I see this a lot in professional services organizations. I see it in nonprofits a lot. It r- really happens in, in many different kinds of companies where the folks at the top, uh, the top brass, the top leadership, the C-suite, um, may be manipulating, maybe ruling uh, the company uh, through manipulation of those that work under them and for them. It's usually not done It's usually not some nefarious plan, and it's usually not done out of malice, but it definitely feeds the pipeline um, of of revenue and income up the ladder. So I encounter a lot of younger folks. um, Actually, it could be young, uh, sorry, early to mid-career professionals that become so conditioned by the folks that are supervising them because maybe they're, they're not the greatest managers in the world, and they really start to believe that they're stuck where they are, that they can't do any better, that they can't leave. And so that dreaming big thing just kind of quickly flies out the window because they're limiting their vision and their expectations of themselves to whatever box they're put in by their current employer. This is super prevalent, and it's really, really dangerous for folks who want to be impactful, want to have fulfilling careers, and quite frankly, want to seek out the work-life balance thing. So how do you recognize that one? Because if, if this is happening to you, chances are that, that you know, you, you haven't even recognized it yet. And then, and then what do you do about it, Wendy? Well, it, it, a lot of times it, it needs to come from someone on the outside. You know, you need to, if you're feeling like, for, for me, I, I found in my own personal career and also a lot of the folks that I work with um, as clients, it's, you know, you love what you do, you, you feel good about what you're doing, but there's something holding you back. You yearn to do something more. You, you, you feel like you want to make a bigger impact, and there's something holding you back. And when you really think through it and assess it and maybe talk to someone on the outside like a coach or a friend or a mentor and say, I don't know, I just, here's what I really want to accomplish and here's what's standing in my way, oftentimes it comes out in conversation that, just the company structure, the corporate structure, maybe a lack of professional development, a lack of mentorship, support, et cetera. And then people start to open their eyes. Um, I, I, another big question that we can ask ourselves, it's really quite a simple one, but it, it, it's something that um, also touches upon the, the dreaming big idea, which is oftentimes in interviews people are asked where they see themselves in three to five years, which I hate that question because we never know. We don't know. We can't predict the future. So I, I encourage folks to think more about the problem or challenge they want to solve mm-hmm. in their career. And this is particularly good for folks that are, that are very young, maybe right out of college. You know, what do I want to do with my life? I don't know. But here's what's really important to me. And what can I do to, to find a solution or create a solution? And oftentimes this is the conversation that leads us to want to hang our own shingle out. So that's a good question I think people can ask themselves, and it will help them to understand maybe if they are, let's say, sympathizing with their quote-unquote captors a bit too much. 
844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Wendy Merrill talking um, right now about workplace Stockholm Syndrome. And I like what you said, Wendy, about asking yourself, what challenge do I want to solve? Because I think a lot of people are asked, what do you want to do? What, you know, what do you want to be? And these questions are so overwhelming and, and big. And, and the fact is, every day, there's a new set of job titles out there, and there's a new set of opportunities. But when you ask the question, what challenge do you want to solve? I think that really helps us reframe our our exploratory process in a way that is more manageable and and really gets down to the specifics of how we want to use our talent. So I love that. So question of the day, what challenge do you want to solve? 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we're taking your calls all hour. We are live here on SiriusXM channel 132. Um, Another question you have in your book, Wendy, and and I think, again, it's one of those simple questions, um, is why do you stay? So if, if, you know, you have somebody who's venting about their job or, you know, never seems to be happy in their job, why do you stay? And I think it's really easy to rationalize for the money, for, you know, I have to pay the bills and things like that. But I mean, how do people really get beyond that rationalization and answer this question in a way that helps them decide if it's time to move on? Well, there's a very simple tool that I, I put in my book, and it's, it's the most basic of questions, but it's sadly, these are questions we never really ask ourselves. And I call it the, the holy trinity of self-advocacy, which is to really sit down, pen and paper, and say, okay, what do I really care about? And this is personal and professional life tied together. The second is, what do I fear? Which is a really important one. And the third one is, what do I want? Forcing ourselves to sit down and really be very honest about these questions and our responses is the first step to getting us to organize our thoughts and try to look objectively at our situation. So in other words, if you write down, you know, I really care about helping the environment and this is something I want to do in my professional life, but my fear is that I won't be able to support my family, and that's why I stay at my job. Well, that may tell you something. Well, gee, maybe I should start exploring a possible career with an environmental organization, a nonprofit. Is it possible for me to do what I love and care about and actually make a living? Sometimes it's just that simple to to sort of boost someone's self-confidence um, for them to just to start a search, start a conversation, and to see if they can create a new path for themselves. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about um, if fear. I want to come back to that because I think that is is the driver of all of our decisions as humans in some form or fashion. And I think it's a really interesting question to kind of tap into so that we can really understand what what is it that's driving us to make these decisions every day about our career? And is it something that we can move beyond? Hey, 844-942-7866, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM channel 132 we're going to go to jeff in florida jeff what's on your mind today hey good afternoon dr graham i appreciate you uh taking the call and uh appreciate all the insight you give us into our career talk well thank you um i'm in the process of starting a job search i've been at the same company for about 10 years and i have not updated my linkedin profile in a while i think it reflects what i currently do, uh, do pretty well but my concern is, as I listen to some of your programs and some of the advice you give, I want to start honing in on some of the careers that I'm looking at moving to and, and uh, modifying that profile. The challenge I have is that I'm pretty engaged with my current company in access to that LinkedIn profile and what I'm posting, uh, like industry articles. So. Do you have any advice on how I work around that or market myself on LinkedIn because it is such a a focus of attention by recruiters and how I can limit that exposure to my current company? Yeah, so how to be stealth on LinkedIn. This comes up a lot, Jeff, and it's a good question because um, people are certainly worried about tipping their hat that they may be looking for something else. So um, can can I ask you a question? How – how how drastic of a change are you looking to make in, in terms of your career? Um, I'm really looking at a lot of different things, even outside of my current um, position. But, I, I mean, I'm willing – I am going to start with 
my existing position and find and trying to fine tune it where it's you know um, not as obvious as you will. Um, so I am, but I am looking at all different options. Okay, so a couple of things. One, LinkedIn is ridiculously important in the job search, so much that I'll say if you're not on LinkedIn, you don't exist. And I know that's a harsh statement, but it's true. The fact is, this is the first place people are going to look, whether it's recruiters, whether you're networking. Five minutes before you you pick up that phone, people are going to take a look at your LinkedIn, and they're going to want to find some some information that aligns with their expectations of you. So one, good thing you're doing this. I'm sure you've already shut off your profile announcements. Um, but for those who may not have done that, I think that's a good thing to do so that when you make changes, it's not broadcast to your network. Um, here's the thing. My bigger concern about what you're saying, Jeff, is that you're trying to be everything to everyone. I think one of the things that makes a LinkedIn profile helpful and strong is that it's targeted. And so I think step one before you even move to updating your LinkedIn is to have a very clearly defined focus of where you want to go so that you can create a profile that appeals to the audience that you're trying to address. Because if you try and be everything to everyone, you end up being nothing to to no one. Uh, yep. you know. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so... I mean, so I think that's that's step one. Um, and when you figure that out, there's a couple of things you can do. I mean, th- there's a way to indicate that you're you're open for job opportunities um, in your profile settings, and they do claim to eliminate your current company from that. So uh, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say it works perfectly, but I think I think that's something that you might want to start looking at, at what opportunities are out there. But I also think that you have to have a very clear focus of where you want to go. The other thing is, I think people are, um, People are busy, and I don't – if you shut off your changes, I'm not sure that anybody's really going on your LinkedIn profile to say, hey, what changes has Jeff made in the last few weeks? And if they are, then guess what? They're already aware that you're thinking of making a move, and it's it's already on their, their radar screen. So, Wendy, do you want to add anything? Uh, well, I, I – Wrote down what you said. Actually, if you if you're not on LinkedIn, you don't exist. Because I happen to agree. <laughs> I love that. Um, it, it's it's not harsh. It's true. I, I use LinkedIn a lot. Um, I would agree with you in terms of your focus. You know, it and it, this is a tough place to be because I, I feel like your LinkedIn is your CV, right? It's it's really what people are looking at um, to to learn as much as they can about you. So. Maybe there's, and, and I'm not super familiar with all the, the privacy settings and, and, and the things that you mentioned in terms of turning off who can see what. However, if you want to position yourself um, as somebody who cares about X, Y, Z, like back to that, what challenge do you want to solve? Find a way to develop a narrative on your LinkedIn profile to tell more of a story as opposed to focusing on just your current title or your current company. Talk about, you know, I'm I, uh, uh, uh thought leader who really cares about this particular cause, you know, something that, that might bridge the two interests that you have or where you are now, where you'd like to go. That's definitely a start. And then certainly using keywords, um, because that's, I believe, how a lot of recruiters will find you and people will do searches and use hashtags. So that's one thing. The other thing is, on your own, you should just expand your network. You should connect to people that are interesting to you and that are in the fields that you're interested in and send them an invitation to connect, send them a message, let them know that you're interested in chatting and networking. And that way you can still fly under the radar, but you can improve and increase your network and also reach people in a more direct way. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna test out this question that that you had brought up earlier, Wendy. Um, hey Jeff, what challenge do you want to solve? Yeah, no, and I, I I think that's a very valid question. It's one that I'm going to hone in on and definitely, I guess, focus on and work on my profile with. And one of the things I would encourage you to do, Jeff, as you think about this question, what challenge do you want to solve? Don't look at it in terms of what challenge do I want to solve based on 
the my previous history or the jobs I've had because that's going to limit you to to thinking you can only go certain places because of your your past career path. I want you to kind of wipe the slate clean and say what challenges do I want to solve regardless of of you know what you've done in the past. And then once you hone in on that idea, then you can start seeing what skills in your background apply to that because the fact is most of our skills are transferable. It's just that when we start looking at acronyms and computer systems and all these specifics to our companies, we start our world gets so so much smaller because we start thinking, oh, these are the only things we can do. So, so wipe the slate clean. Ask yourself that question. Brainstorm. Free associate. Get a lot of ideas on paper, and then when you found a clear target, then go back and say, okay, now how can I do this? And you can call us back because we'd love to help you with that stuff too, Jeff. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. 844-942-7866. We are Sirius XM 132 and we're here with Wendy Merrill, who is the author of Path to Impact, the Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And if it's Thursday, we are live all hour long. Take your calls, 844-942-7866. But right now, we're going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. Okay. One in eight U.S. workers has been employed at this company. Think you know? 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. One in eight U.S. workers has been employed at this company. If you think you know, give us a call here on Career Talk Series XM, Channel 132. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brown. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. And just in case you missed the pre-break quiz, here it is one more time. One in eight U.S. workers has been employed at this company. If you think you know, give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And of course, if it's Thursday noon Eastern, we are live all hour long taking your calls on any and all career topics at 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Wendy Merrill, who is the author of Path to Impact, The Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart. And Wendy, how can people reach you? You can check my website out at www.strategyhorse.com, or they can check my LinkedIn profile out. I'm really active on there. I'm also on Facebook under Strategy Horse. Um, I also have a Path to Impact page on Facebook as well. And Twitter, uh, my handle is at Strategy Horse. Fantastic. So I want to get back to Fear. We were talking about that a little bit before the break, and um, I think this is a, a big driver of all of our decisions. And I think a lot of people would say that they stay at a company for the money or, or for, for you know very tangible reasons. But you know, I also get the sense that people are looking for job security, which, in my opinion, only exists in you as an individual remaining agile. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize with uh, automation and new technologies that. That if you're not continuously reinventing yourself, growing in terms of learning these new skills, you are at risk of becoming obsolete in your career before it's time for you to retire. So so I think that is a big fear that is driving people. And I think a lot of people keep their heads down in an effort to, to hope that it just kind of bypasses them. What are your thoughts on this, Wendy? I think I, I agree with that. I also think that People in general, I have found, really fear change, any kind of change. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like they'd, they'd rather sort of stay where they're comfortable, even if they're – how they define comfort is actually discomfort, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I also find that it's back to that, that value question. Um, it's back to that, that dreaming big conversation. So oftentimes – Folks will stay where they are because they really don't know what their ability is. You know, they 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 
their self-confidence is not what people on the outside think it is. Like, you know, arrogance is not confidence. Confidence is not arrogance. And I, I say this often, especially about younger professionals, um, where they, they may seem to some folks to be super confident or really know their stuff, but they might actually be putting on airs just so they can sort of fit in. Um, but when you dig down actually not so deeply, you can find that people really do lack a lot of confidence when it comes to what their individual unique value prop is, especially in terms of how they want to navigate their career path. So I, I think that, you know, I, I, it makes me think about a, a quick story that I put in my book about an experience I had with um, a friend of mine, a colleague, who several years ago we were talking and, and she was she had just experienced her third layoff. She worked for large corporations. And she's brilliant and she had all these great ideas and she was very impact oriented. And I said to her, you know, why can't you just sort of take this show on the road and, and start your own thing or be a consultant? She said, oh, no, it's too scary. There's no security in that. And I said to her, well, is there security? Have you experienced security so far? Because from what you're telling me, you've now been laid off through no fault of your own three different times in your career. Yes. And she said, huh, good point. So I think it's how we define job security. Because, yes, being an entrepreneur, starting your own thing, certainly has its risks. But there's a lot of risk to staying in the same place and putting all your eggs in one basket and really allowing others to determine your professional fate. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I, I think I think it's it's so interesting because it, it took you holding that mirror up to say, well, you've been laid off three times. How secure is that? And I think a lot of people don't accept contract roles or even um, – you know, consulting gigs to get their foot in the door, which I think is one of the best ways to get your foot in the door because they think, no, no, I want to wait for that that security of a a full time job. And the fact is, is that there is no security in that. In fact, your your story brings up the point that your your friend is probably pretty agile at this point. Who she's learned how to get through a job search, she's learned how to keep her network, she's learned how to function in a variety of new companies. And I think a lot of people, especially if you've been in a company for a, any length of time are scared that, hey, what if my skills don't translate? Or what if, you know, I'm a rock star here, but what if I'm not a rock star there? And it is it is a very scary thing. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, like, I, I don't um, – I think if you're out there and you're not feeling confident, you are not alone. As a matter of fact, people don't believe this about me, but I am always second-guessing myself. I am I'm probably one of the least confident people I know, and that shocks people. But the fact is we are, especially if you're trying to grow and you're trying to do new things and you're trying to learn, you're constantly putting yourself in these situations where you don't know what you're doing, and that is scary, and that is scary. And, and yes, you do get a little bit more comfortable when you do it more often, knowing that, yeah, I'll probably figure this out, but it's still scary. And and it, it doesn't change just because – you um you have more experience. As a matter of fact, I think it gets worse once you have more experience because now you're worried about losing. Now this idea of, of well, I've built this reputation and I can't screw up because people have this expectation of me. And so I think as, as we get more experienced and we get more well-known in our careers, you, you start to take fewer risks because you're you're terrified you're going to screw up something, um, which I do all the time. So there you go. 844-942-7866. Hey, if you're struggling with confidence, you have to know you are not alone. And you're going to be doing yourself a huge favor by stepping out and trying whatever it is you are scared of. Because the fact is, one, it probably will not turn out nearly as badly as you had thought. And two, you are going to start to flex this this um, this muscle where you start to get into that stretch zone. And we all need to get into that stretch zone because the fact is the market's changing, the world's changing, and we all have to risk a little discomfort so that we remain relevant. Hey, you listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132. We're taking your calls all hour long at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're here with Wendy Merrill, who is the author of Path to Impact, the Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart and she's also the founder of Strategy Horse Consulting Group, which helps leaders to be more impactful in the workplace and beyond. And right now, I think we have to answer our pre-break quiz. So let's do that. All right. So here's the pre-break quiz. One in eight U.S. workers has been employed at this company. Dion. 
So it's got to be a big company, right? Because we're, we're talking like one in eight. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So I'm going to say McDonald's. Yes. Hey. That's Woo-hoo! three weeks in a row that Dion has got the pre-break quiz. What is happening? Correctly. So if you didn't believe me that the, there's things churning in the world, <laughs> this things should be support <laughs> enough. Support enough. We've been doing this show for almost four years. <laughs> Zombie apocalypse. Yes. It is happening. <laughs> it's on the way. Hey, I'm, and I'm prepared for it, too. <laughs> Trust me. Michelle knows. We've had meetings. Yes. We've had meetings about the zombie apocalypse. We have had meetings, so this is good. So, yeah, one in eight workers has been employed at McDonald's at some point in their career. Famous former employees at McDonald's include Rachel McAdams, Pink, Macy Gray, Jay Leno, Carl Lewis, Jeff Bezos, and Andy McDowell. So, you know? Huh. But as I was researching this question, <laughs> and in part because... <laughs> did either of you ever work at McDonald's? I did not. I did not. Did you? No. Wendy? Nope. All right. Well, <laughs> we're, 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 not, we're not we're not helping the numbers not, here. <laughs> but there's only four of us, not eight. So there if there are yeah, four. We're good. <laughs> Your statistics live. Yeah. Um, so interestingly, I saw an article about vegan chicken McNuggets coming out or something like that. And so anyway, I got on this McDonald's kick and I found this article that has like 72 weird facts about McDonald's. Um, here's another question, Dion. Do you know I was what about that- to say that's the one you chose? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, <laughs> what, what do you think is the best selling menu item? At McDonald's? Yeah. Um, I want to. S- it's, it it's the obvious answer the, the fries. Big Mac? Fries. Oh. Woohoo. Fries come with everything. Yeah, that's true. Um, so this is interesting that since 1996. Six, there has been a ski through McDonald's in Sweden. So you can actually ski through. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. Like That's I, what you should have came up with. <laughs> well, I didn't know how to phrase it, and you would probably say that my question was bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So um, w- there's actually a McBarge. So there's a McDonald's on a boat. <laughs> Unfortunately, that closed, so you're not going to be able to go. Um, Wonder why. I know. And do this. I thought this was fascinating. The first drive-through McDonald's was created because it was near a, uh, a military base, and military personnel were not allowed to get out of their cars if they were wearing their fatigues. So McDonald's brilliantly came up with this idea of drive-through so that they could still get McDonald's and not have to get out of the car. Wow, that's impressive. That is kind of fascinating. Yeah, like I, that's what I mean when I started reading this. I was like, wow, these are just, I know, you're probably never going to use this information. Unless you come up with a pre-break quiz question. Unless you are, yes, if you get a radio show and you have a pre-break quiz, <laughs> some of these may come in, in handy. All right, last thing. I'm loving it. McDonald's jingle. You know who that was written by? Stevie you, Wonder. No. But. Someone like it's that. It's famous. Yeah. Yeah. You never get a guess. I'll just tell you. Pharrell and Justin Timberlake. Oh. Loving it. Loving it. No? Really? Right. Hey, look, I just. That, that it's on the internet. Right. It's true. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> All right. Well, 844-942-7866. Dion with the pre brick quiz three weeks in a row. I love it. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are talking about Path to Impact, the Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart with Wendy Merrill. So, Wendy, let's talk about executive presence because you talk about this in your book. And this is a term that is somewhat ambiguous, but you hear this a lot that, that, oh, you didn't get promoted or you didn't get the job because you don't have executive presence. What is that? Executive, pre- you can't talk about executive presence unless you talk about imposter syndrome, <laughs> which is when somehow you believe that you don't belong at the table. So you doubt your own value. You're you're not super confident about you know whether you belong in an executive meeting or you deserve an opportunity, <clears throat> and so it 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 shows itself in maybe in your body language, um, how you hold yourself, your your tone the language that you use, um, how nervous you are if you maintain eye contact, if you have a firm handshake, also the superficial stuff like how you dress for work. Um, there's, there's a whole slew of different things that go into executive presence. But I think it is, 
it, it provided that someone has, you know, was, was raised the way you and I were, Don, we were talking about this the other day, in terms of, you know, you have your suits and you present yourself in a certain way at an interview. Um, once you get the job, it's also how you're able to navigate the system at the company. And if you bring ideas to the table and you believe in your ability to do so and you take a keen interest in uh, sharpening your communication skills so that you can engage with people at several different levels of the company as well as uh, clients. So it's a whole bunch of stuff, but it really comes down to, again, that, that confidence thing, that, that, that word, you know, it's, it's do I belong here and, and do I bring value? And if we're not really sure about what we're bringing to the table, then it always comes through in um, our appearance and how we speak and how we interact with people. So is, is, are there um, you know, gender differences, generational differences that you see, Wendy? Yes. Um, I do find, I mean, executive presence is an issue for both men and women. Um, and it, it, it does happen, I think, you find it, it as a challenge more often with younger professionals. So I would say folks that are, you know, maybe right out of school um, up until really sometimes your late 30s. Um, it, it, it's a struggle because, I mean, I've dealt with, for example, I, I work with a lot of law firms, and as they are trying to develop their young rising leaders to become the partners of the future, there is often a challenge where a senior partner may feel uncomfortable or hesitate to, um, to present or introduce a younger colleague to their client. Now, part of that is just being territorial, certainly, and protective of clients, but there is an issue that I hear over and over again that they feel like some of their younger colleagues won't speak up, they don't feel confident, they use a lot of filler words like, like, you know, a lot of things like that. They don't, and they look very nervous, um, they don't contribute to the conversation. So this is a big challenge because, of course, in terms of succession planning, they don't feel comfortable passing the torch to these people without the proper development. So it definitely is, you find it more of a challenge in younger folks, but between men and women, I would say that sometimes you might find it a little bit more prevalent within, uh, w- among women, um, not to sound sexist, but I speak with a lot of women who do f- openly admit to feeling like they have imposter syndrome, like somehow, even if they have 20 years of experience and they're very knowledgeable and they're very technically capable, they still feel uncomfortable uh, scooting their seat up to the, the, the C-suite table, you know, taking, taking part in a meeting or leading a meeting because somehow they feel like people are looking at them like they don't belong. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Wendy Merrill, and we are talking right now about executive presence. So I think, Wendy, this if we, we kind of look at this more broadly, we're, we're also talking about um, you hear EQ a lot, your emotional intelligence and, you know, your ability to read people and react in appropriate ways and be sensitive to what's happening in the room. And I think a lot of these things do come from experience and unfortunately screwing up. Like, I mean, you kind of have to make some mistakes so that you can find that zone of, you know, where things are appropriate. But are there other ways to kind of build this without just, um, you know, w- without just the time factor going by? Absolutely. You can find a mentor or you can find a coach. There's lots of people out there who can help you to look at yourself more objectively and develop the skills you need to better navigate your career. Yeah, and I think practicing, I think you really do have to, and this goes back to kind of what we were talking about before, you really do have to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. And I talk about this a lot where it's not just that it's a situation that's uncomfortable, but that there are actually stakes on the table. So, I mean, sure, I can I can play with my app and, and learn Spanish, and that's fine if I do that in the comfort of my own home. But what if I volunteer to translate our, our next uh, HR manual? I mean, now there's, there's, there's skin in the game, and people are going to give me feedback, and I'm going to be visible in what I'm doing. And I also think it's, it's helpful to put yourself in a room with people who are more experienced with you as often as you can. And it feels so intimidating, I can tell you, um, <laughs> that it just feels that that you have nothing to contribute. But this is how you're going to learn. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to watch other people and how they interact and how they respond. So I think there's so many um, 
ways you can do this, but you have to take some initiative. You have to kind of step out there and be willing to make a mistake. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM channel 132-844-WHARTON-844-942-7866. We are here all hour long and we are taking your calls. So I do want to talk a little bit about um, mentoring because you brought that up, Wendy, and this is always an interesting topic because I always see find a mentor, get a mentor, and I don't think that's as easy as unless your company has some kind of formal mentoring program. I don't I don't think that's a really easy thing to do. Can you say more about that? Um, it's not easy because people are afraid. Well, either they don't understand what a, a formal mentoring relationship looks like, and they're also afraid to, to ask someone directly to be a mentor. So um, I, I unfortunately never had the benefit of uh, a strong mentoring relationship in my career. I had a lot of – I tried to surround myself with lots of mini-mentors, um, but I, I had to figure a lot out on my own. And so I really, really believe strongly in the value of mentoring relationships, and I try to mentor people as much as I can and help them to find qualified people. Um, mentorship is really a formal relationship. So uh, <clears throat> someone who is looking to be mentored is, really, is, is not necessarily looking for someone to champion their career. That's really more sponsorship. Mm-hmm. It's someone who's invested in their success. It's a stakeholder in your success, um, which means someone who will give you advice, someone who will listen to you, um, and, and someone who really believes in what you're trying to be and what you bring to the table, especially when you can't see it yourself, so they can help you bring it out. And recognize it. So in terms of, of finding a mentor or realizing if you need a mentor, first you have to sit down and think about back to the, the question of what challenge do I want to solve? What do I care about? You know, what's in my way? Well, I feel like I'm, I don't know enough or I'm not confident enough or I don't have the right network or whatever it is. Um, I need advice. Then you, I mean, I, I it's going to sound kind of crazy, but I've done this before where you kind of go shopping for mentors. You know, people that you meet that you're really impressed with approach them and say, I'm looking for a mentor. I think you're terrific. I think that I could learn a lot from you. Is it something you're interested in doing? And if so, what would that look like? And some people will agree to it. And some people will say, you know, thanks, but I don't have time. I've actually had that happen to me a few times. People said, I'm really touched. I'm flattered. I'm very busy. I I feel like I can't commit to you formally. So this is a person that I have conversations with time from time to time, but it's not a formal arrangement. Well, yeah, there I, are pe- people who want formal arrangements. I feel like you know you said something a few minutes ago that I feel like I hear a lot, which is um, you know I've I've never had formal mentors, but I've had these mini mentors or these advisors along the way, and I hear that a lot now. And it, you know, it makes me wonder: is is this kind of the way things are shifting? Because in my experience. Mentorships develop naturally, meaning you. It, maybe it's a former boss, maybe it's a current boss, maybe it's somebody you you work with a lot in an organization, or is even a family friend, and just somebody who you have this relationship with that builds into a mentorship over time. Because, um, I, I mean, I, I would have to say if somebody reached out to me to be a mentor, I that I didn't know, it's really difficult to say yes to that request because I don't I don't really know anything about them, what they you know need, if I'm even the right person. So I feel like I feel like one we have to really be clear about what these roles are. We had uh, Carla Harris, whose book Expect to Win. Um, she had some some great ways of discerning this. She talks about sponsorship versus mentor versus advisor, and I like that distinction because, like you said, Wendy, that idea of sponsorship in a company is somebody who's a few levels ahead of you and can you know help you move into different roles and groom you and and those are things i think if you're planning to stay and advance with a company that is really helpful and sometimes that that may be your boss's boss or other people in those roles and then there's idea of an advisor. I feel like that that a lot of people have these advisors. So maybe people they have in their life or they run across every now and again who they can get advice from. Or maybe they have unique experiences that, you know, when I have this challenge, I'm going to reach out to this person because I knew they can help. And so I think those things are also – those different types of relationships can also be very, very useful as people are, are looking to grow their career. What are your thoughts? Well, I think I, I agree. I, I do think that that's the way things are going, especially for those of us who work on our own. 
you know, that are, that are not part of large corporations, so it's a little harder to find people. Um, and I, I love the concept of, I mean, I've been part of different advisory groups. I, I strongly recommend the peer advisory group model. There's, there's tons of those going on around the U.S., um, meeting with peers, connecting with people. But the fundamental most important thing for anyone who's looking to grow their career or their business or find a mentor is to not be afraid to ask for help, which is something that is extremely difficult for a lot of people because mm-hmm. they think it's a sign of weakness. But it's, number one, most nice people, and most of us are decent people, do inherently want to help people. And the other thing is that it is the greatest way to build a stakeholder relationship in someone, to get them to be invested in your success is by saying, hey, I'm trying to figure this out. Do you have any ideas? You know, can you support me? I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm learning. It, it opens a whole different level of conversation and development. Yeah, and I think another part of of you know what you're saying is yeah, asking if somebody can help you is is definitely step one. But I also think investing in them first. One of the things about mentor relationships is that they are a two way street in a lot of ways. Where um, you know you want to invest in your your mentor as well. So when people reach out and ask you to be a mentor, ask you for advice, I think it's very important to make sure you understand why you're asking that person and ask yourself, is this person uniquely qualified to answer that question or to help me with this situation? Because a lot of people just react. They're like, ah, I need help. I'm just going to reach out to the first person who kind of jumps to mind. But but this is where I say invest in them first, meaning look at their background, make sure you understand kind of where their expertise lies. Because I do agree with you, Wendy, people want to help but we as as askers of that need to make it easy for them to help us. And the easier we make it for them to help us, the more help we are going to get. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM channel 132. So... Um, as we are as we are winding down, Wendy, um, what is your advice for people who are trying to grow smart in today's market? What are some of the things they need to be considering in their careers? Uh, they really need to be able to uh, clearly quantify the value that they bring to whoever they're trying to sell to. And I and I use the word sell on purpose because no matter what we do, we're all selling even though we don't want to admit it. If you're a consultant, if you're a dentist, I, I don't care what you do. You, if you're trying to build a business, a practice, provide services or value products to other people, we do have to convince them um, that we have the ability to fill their need, to, take, to solve their challenge. So if you're not able to clearly define your own value, your, what you bring to the table, whether it's in the community with your family, friends, um, at work, with your colleagues, your clients, if you can't clearly articulate it, then you can never hope to build what I like to think of as an army of ambassadors or stakeholders for your brand. It's so important. Um, And many of us are uncomfortable with having to articulate that because somehow we feel like that makes us arrogant or I've heard people say overconfident, which I'm not quite sure I understand what that means, but... Um, that somehow we're bragging. But the thing is, if you're good at what you do and you really believe in the value that you provide, there's a real difference in how you present that because it's true confidence. (laughs) And the the idea is that you want to be able to convey that to other people that no matter what, you are interested in providing value to that person or that organization. When we go to an interview, it doesn't matter what kind of position you're interviewing for, you have to think of the person across the table as your customer. Totally, totally agree. Wendy, thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show, Path to Impact, the Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart. And hey, Dion and Michelle, always fun to have you here. And third time in a row for Dion on the pre-break quiz. Zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Of course, to all of our listeners and callers, we love being here for you every week on Career Talk Series XM Channel 132. And we'll see you next time.